0: Good afternoon everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, January 10th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. With us today is Julie Danho, with whom I will be discussing her poem, Lounging on the Couch on My 39th Birthday in Pink Flannel Donut Pajamas, and my poem, To the She I Don't Fully Know. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of January 11th. On Monday, January 11th, from 8.15 p.m. Amsterdam time, Labyrinth will be hosting their weekly open mic, and you can find out more information and register at labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash number sign events. Again, that's labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash number sign events. From 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground We Play Clean open mic via Instagram live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. On Tuesday, January 12th from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. This is a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can get more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, City of Asylum will be hosting their Staff Picks Favor Poetry Reading Compilation with poets Sam Sachs and Julian Randall. You can find out more information and register at cityofasylum.org. Again, that's cityofasylum.org. From 8 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Alexa Lash and Kiana Major will be hosting their creatively undistanced open mic. You can find out more information at Major Muse on Instagram. Again, that's Major Muse on Instagram. Muse is spelled M U Z E. From 9 p.m. Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting their Poets Playground We Play Dirty open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Poetry Center San Jose and Works San Jose Art and Performance Center will be hosting their well-read reading featuring Sharon Coleman and McTate Strongman II. You can find out more information at pcsj.org. Again, that's pcsj.org. P-C-S-J, like Poetry Center, San Jose. On Wednesday, January 13th from 6 p.m. Amsterdam time, Word Up Amsterdam will be hosting their Inspiration Factory Writing Workshop by Janice. You can find out more information by going to wordupamsterdam.org. Weebly.com forward slash workshops dot Again, that's wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops Weebly is w-e-e-b-l-y. From 8 30 p.m. Beirut time, Sidewalk Beirut will be hosting their weekly online open mic you can find out more information at Sidewalk underscore Beirut on Instagram or Sidewalk Beirut on Facebook. Again, that's either Sidewalk underscore Beirut on Instagram or Sidewalk Beirut on Facebook. From 6 to 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, Sprawl Magazine, The Reading Series, and Desert Diwata will be hosting The Ox Reading, an open mic featuring Chirvana Givens. Julia Kinu, and Drela Benrankshack. You can find out more information on Instagram at Desert Diwata. That's Desert D-I-W-A-T-A. Again, that's Desert D-I-W-A-T-A. From 7.15 p.m. Central Standard Time, Luya Poetry will be hosting their open mic and you can find out more information and register at Luya Poetry on Instagram. Again, that's Luya Poetry. Luya is L-U-Y-A. On Thursday, January 14th from 9 p.m. Paris time, Paris Lit Up will be hosting their open mic. And you can find out more information at parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. Again, that's parislitup.com slash open hyphen mic. From 6 30 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Hudson Valley Writer Center will be hosting the first of their six Finding Your Poetic Voice workshop with Amy Homan. You can find out more information and register at writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. On Friday, January 15th, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British Time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth Writing Workshop. You can find out more information by messaging Andrina Leanne at survivor.andrina.leanne on Instagram. Again, that's survivor.andrina.leanne on Instagram. Andrina is spelled A-N-D-R-E-E-N-A. Leanne is spelled L-E-E-A-N-N-E. Again, that's A-N-D-R-E-E-N-A. Leanne is L-E-E-A-N-N-E. From 7 p.m. West African time, Graciano Enwarim will be hosting his Corona vs. Open Mic via Instagram Live at Graciano Enwarim. That's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M Again, that's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M From 7.20 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Hudson Valley Writers Center will be hosting their open mic night hosted by Bill Bushell. You can find out more information, again, at writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. From 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the August Wilson African American Cultural Center will be hosting their Poetry Unplugged, hosted by Mahogany Brown, featuring Nikki Giovanni and Jessica Care Moore. This is in celebration of this year's Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday. You can find out more information and register at aacc-awc.org forward slash events. Again, that's aacc-awc.org forward slash events. On Saturday, January 16th, from 9 to 11 p.m. Morocco time, Moroccan Poets will be hosting their open mic via Instagram Live at Moroccan Poets. Again, that's at Moroccan Poets. From 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, Defunct Magazine will be hosting their New Year reading series featuring Kalisa Ray and Keegan Wheat. You can find out more information and register at defunctmag.com forward slash events. Again, that's defunctmag.com forward slash events. Defunct. Is spelled D-E-F-U-N-K-T. And now let us welcome our Poet Guest of the Week, Julie Danho. Hi, Julie. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi,
1: thanks so much for having me.
0: Of course. So you brought with you your poem, Lounging on the Couch on my 39th Birthday in Pink Flannel Donut Pajamas. It really sets up the mood. I, I really love it. So before we get into your poem, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, I I just published my first full-length collection Mm -hmm. in March, so it came out right as the pandemic was starting,
0: Oh, Um,
1: and I'm a really slow writer, Mm -hmm. so it took me a very long time (laughs) to write this book.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: In between, I did have a a, a chapbook um, called Six Portraits, and out from Slavery Hall Press in 2014, Mm -hmm. and this book, which is called Those Keep Arriving, on the Gerald Cable Book Award, it came out from Fish Review Press, and I've been incredibly lucky to work with presses that really care so much about their books and put so much effort and dedication into all aspects of it. A lot of my poems are about art. Mm-hmm. And so I've been really lucky to have artwork on the cover of both of my books mm-hmm. and to have publishers that have kind of helped me figure out that process. And I've just, just been really so lucky to have that opportunity.
0: Mm. Congratulations. That's wonderful. I mean, both Thank on you. winning and also publishing your first first collection.
1: I got my MFA years ago at Ohio State. hmm and I studied uh, poetry and nonfiction, although I, I may mean, just write poetry now. Mm-hmm. But that was but I really love research and I'm kind of a research nerd. And so a lot of my poems, whether they're art poems or poems or other things, often I do a lot of background research and try and really ground the poem in those kinds of really just sort of interesting details that you can come across when you're really sort of delving into
0: topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when you read your poem on the pink bathrooms in your house. That bit of research was really cool. That was a really
1: fun one. When I graduated from Ohio State, I had 200 library books behind my couch. Oh, wow.
0: Because you were allowed to
1: keep them. Mm Mm-hmm indefinitely as a graduate student you could just keep renewing them and i I would take (laughs) out so many to research topics and the ohio state campus is so big that it was hard to walk them all back to campus or even park close enough to get get (laughs) them back so i had to return them all before i could graduate yeah
0: yeah how did you end up doing it
1: i had a friend drive me as close to campus
0: as, or as close to the library on campus as i could
1: and then i just buried them in like 10 at a time, 10 at a time. wow <laughs> that's amazing
0: <laughs> it was not that, but <laughs> makes for a good story though yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going back a bit when did you start to write poetry
1: I actually started writing poetry when I was in elementary school. Mm. I just always loved writing and reading poems, and I was kind of lucky to be exposed to poems at a young age, like children's poems. And then as I got into high school, I was reading Sharon Olds and Meetsu Hamill and some some of the poets that I still love now. Mm. And um, one of the coolest things that happened to me actually was I live in Rhode Island and I went to the Providence Book Festival and mm. Denise Duham was reading there and she's also a Rhode Island poet. She lives in Florida now. But I met her briefly at her reading.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then when my book came out, I asked her if she would be willing to write a blurb for it. All and nice. she was so lovely and, and said that she would. So it was so exciting to meet me to have this poet that I had, you know, really always loved not only that she wrote a book but even just to know that she read my book was really was just really wonderful and exciting.
0: That's great that's really awesome so glad for you that, that you did that that you dared to do it. I'm a
1: pretty shy person and I don't really it's sort of like I'm definitely way out of my comfort zone. <laughs>
0: um,
1: she was really
0: so it's so, so nice and egregious. Right. It's a great experience. Yeah exactly it's it's Sometimes it's very difficult, right, to approach your, especially childhood idols, and then Definitely. and then you never know how people react, especially when they become famous. Yeah. Yeah. And do you remember what you wrote about your first poem? I do. I actually
1: still have it. I have, like, <laughs> a little book of poems that I had written, I think one of the first ones was about the fact that I didn't... And how um, it was, uh, and how much I hated it. <laughs> so, which is still true today. <laughs> but um, um, I wouldn't
0: write the poem quite that way. I guess if I was going to tackle it, that <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. I have made some really interesting discoveries since I started asking this question. <laughs> People <laughs> tell me all sorts of sorts of things, and it doesn't matter people's age. I'm sometimes really surprised at what they would write about at a very young age. When
1: I, when I was in Ohio, actually, I often got disparaged for how I didn't eat seafood because I was from Rhode Island. And so, you are know, like, you <laughs> can't, can't get good seafood in, you know, in Ohio. Like, how can you go back to Rhode Island and not eat seafood? So, it's still pertinent,
0: I guess. <laughs> then, so, it's... It's seafood in general, it's not just fish. Yeah, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Wow, yeah, that is pretty ironic that you <laughs> live in Rhode Island. I guess you could just tell people that you live in the part of Rhode Island that, that's actually quite far from the seaside.
1: <laughs> well, we're so small that everything is closed. Uh Right, the whole state is like an hour an hour
0: across oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can tell from my reaction that i've never been <laughs> well hey more seafood for the rest of us so thank you <laughs> from the collection that you sent me I was wondering if this is your general writing approach uh, in terms of what you write about. It seems that you will pick up on a little life observation and kind of go from there. Is that your tendency when you're writing poetry? Usually, yeah. I
1: would say, yeah, so this poem, this poem about the pink flannel donut, it started out as, I mean, I I didn't really know what I was writing about when I started it it really was about the ridiculousness of owning of being an adult and owning pink flannel donut pajamas Um, and also like how kind of ridiculous it was how much I loved them and then and it evolved into a poem about my grandmother which is nowhere that I expected that it would go then other poems like some of the art poems that I've written I would say that they are definitely kind of inspired by like looking and and studying at an artwork but i rarely would like go and specifically seek out something to write about it's more it is more how it i kind of encounter it and Mm. then like sort of unravel what my interest in it is in the process of writing the poem
0: Mm. okay okay from what you just said it seems like your poem tends to go through this walk of uh, stream of consciousness. Yeah. And I, I revise
1: a lot of mm. my poems, which also I comes from why I am so slow at writing them, but I feel like they really kind of work themselves out over many, many rounds of, of revision.
0: Mm. Yeah. I think a lot of people, a lot of budding writers, don't necessarily understand or appreciate the editing process.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I don't. I, <laughs> I guess I see people I and mean, like, you know, they're writing these amazing poems and they're writing them. You know, they're they're publishing a lot of books and, you know, they're all really good and I'm always so impressed by that because I feel like when my poems start out, they're in such rough shape <laughs> It just needs to be sort of like fine-tuned over time mm. and so I think revision is important to everyone's process but mm-hmm. some people seem to be able to really I'm just impressed at how prolific they are and how and at the same time how good their work is mm. but yeah I don't I think a lot of people you know if you haven't written a lot you know maybe sort of under underestimate how how long it can take to get get something done
0: yeah I think also it depends on the person too. Some people are just faster writers than others. It, it just is. And I think we each have our own process that works well or best for us. and it's oh. and it's understandable, right? When, when you are like really like putting in the elbow grease in every poem. <laughs> and then encountering people will be like, poem, poem, poem. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it can be very frustrating. At the same time, I think appreciating our own process is very important to to allow us to concentrate on, on that rather than being distracted by other people's abilities that we might not, unfortunately, have. It just, it's just what it is kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I feel like the longer I've been writing, the more and I mean I've always loved I've always loved writing, but I feel like I enjoy the process more as I've kind of gotten gotten older and just can kind of understand and accept the way that I work and have and have fun doing it in a way that maybe I wasn't always really able to as much in the past.
0: Mm. Yeah. I I think that helps too because then you're not nervous about the process itself, which can slow you down even more. Yeah. Yeah. I guess now will be a good time (laughs) for you to read your poem for us. Okay, it might be helpful before I read it
1: just to let let people know. So there's a couple Arabic words in the poem. Sita means grandmother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dada means grandfather. Afla is kind of like a party, often at a church. And Baklava is, or baklava is basically the Syrian equivalent of Baklava. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so this poem is called
2: Lounging on the Couch on My 39th Birthday in Pink Flannel Donut Pajamas. Surely birds would love to peck at the dozens of doughnuts adorning my arms and legs, the glazed, the jellied, the vanilla frosted scalloped at the edges like the worn lace tablecloth in Sita's tenement apartment where my mother, father, sister, aunts, uncles, cousins would cram in Sundays post-church, and I'd eat the frosting off too. Returned the bottoms to the box while Sita frowned and Jada insisted I should disfigure as many doughnuts as made me happy. After he died, she pulled the walls around her like an Afghan and didn't leave. Sundays, when I delivered the church bulletin to her recliner, she'd clasp my face in both hands, grateful. It's been decades since I sat in a pew, but I brought my mother to the last church hafla, where she won these pajamas instead of what she wanted, the platter of walnut butlava. And maybe I've lived too long to be lounging in pink flannel donut pajamas but I love how they rub against my legs like a cat's head. Love that someone spent time dreaming up improbable donuts, like this one here, frosted blue-green, then cross-hatched with pipe-white stripes, topped with pink and red sprinkles, a sugared inner tube floating the middle. How can I be hungry? In the next room, my birthday cake sits on Sita's old table, mine since the day we emptied her apartment, and I opened dresser drawer after dresser drawer to find hundreds of crocheted dishcloths, stacked as neatly as cash for a ransom. We knew she must have made them in her recliner by the window. On those days, none of us were there." It's almost noon, and I'm still in pajamas, waiting for my daughter and husband to march into the room and play me the birthday song they wrote. Her on toy guitar, him on mandolin. I hear them practicing, and it's so sweet my teeth ache. Sita, was it once like this for you?
0: Thank you. It's just such a wonderfully warm poem, like all the different senses that you bring to the poem through the imagery like talking about how the flannel feels like a cat rubbing against you I really love it I spent a long time when I part
1: of the time I was writing the poem I like took the pajamas and I kind of put them on my writing desk to like just kind of look at them and like look at all the donuts and
0: try
1: and and just try and describe
0: them Mm, yeah 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 it's always um kind of difficult, right? Trying to convey not only, like, this is sort of, I guess this would count as an ekphrastic poem because it is, even though maybe one would not characterize pajamas as a piece of art, it does have a print on it. No, that's
1: interesting. I never thought about that, but that's, yeah, that's a really
0: good point. And it's always difficult, I find that, to convey, in ekphrastic ik- poems, not only the picture that you're seeing, but also what feelings it's giving you.
1: Absolutely, I do find that with with and I think it is so hard to describe a, a work of art, and sometimes you really, in a way, almost have to sidestep it. Mm-hmm. I found, and you know, in and maybe not be able to give kind of entirely what it looks like, but more the impression because it's so hard to replicate in words exactly what the viewer is or what the reader is missing not not seeing it but to more give the impression of how it makes the person writing the poem feel in a way. Right
0: right yeah I, I feel like that that is the better thing to do because no matter how you describe it It's never going to be exactly as how somebody else will experience that piece of art. So it might be best to just convey how it makes you feel about it. Did you write this actually on your birthday or did it come much later? I didn't write it.
1: Well, I, no, I didn't write it on my birthday. Yeah, I probably wrote it days
0: after that the first draft of it anyway Mm. the title is factual right i mean like you were actually lounging in your i I was okay yeah that's great i know it it it, like i said it was definitely inspired by just how silly the whole thing was Mm. and and just
1: the fact that i had a church that they were giving away these pajamas. <laughs> it was just very strange to me. Because when my mom got them, she was like, What am like, what am I supposed to do with you? you know, and <laughs> and they weren't, and they were like an adult size, like they weren't a child, <laughs> they weren't a child size or anything. And so, and but I mean, as soon as like the first time I put them on, I was I was kind of really, they made me so happy. <laughs> and, and I was like, so, and so the poem really started uh, out of a place of utter silliness, <laughs> and I think I just you know, very much associate the church with my with my grandmother, mm. and so I think that's how kind of me her way into this poem, and then the fact that every Sunday we would go to my grandparents after church and have and have donuts, and it was kind of this like family ritual, and then all the details in the poem just somehow got... All strung together with her death and mm. um, and like the image of her when she was sitting by the window and all of the, the dishcloths that she made and and everything and it just all kind of ended up in this, <laughs> ended up in, this in this donut pajamas poem. <laughs> um, I have to say this is one of totally the poems that in the book that is most meaningful to me. Mm just because it's so much about my grandmother. And it's kind of interesting when I was trying to figure out what to, what to title the book. A Previous, I had sent out my, my manuscript for, for a year or two before it got accepted. And, and so it went through a couple of different iterations. And one of the iterations was called Gallery. Mm. And it was very much kind of organized around the art homes
0: of the book. Mm.
1: and then ended up pulling the current title for the book. Well, the ultimate title, um, those who keep arriving from one of the poems and very much think of the, the people and the places in the poems as those who keep arriving that, like, keep popping back mm. into into my life and into these poems um, mm. um, in a way that I just can't kind of let go of. Um, mm-hmm. So it really felt to me like it all kind of fit together with that, with that title. Right,
0: right. Yeah, yeah you do see a lot of people arriving through this poem it's like um, the poem itself is one of those family gatherings where people keep coming and going and then the whole entire afternoon is basically this this gathering
1: i think it it feels particularly poignant to me in a way now when we're still in a, a time when a lot of people can't gather with their yeah. families So much about kind of the loneliness of a lot of the the days and hours when the family isn't around, I guess feels unfortunately
0: relevant right now. Yeah, yeah. I actually really just love all of these feelings you brought into the poem that the sense of ridiculousness that you felt in the beginning and starting with a bird talking about wanting to peck at these donuts to this really wonderful childhood memory of uh, spending Sunday afternoon with your grandparents and the rest of your family. And then I, I love this image about after your grandfather passed away, how your grandmother dealt with her grief by just shutting herself in. And this image that you wrote that after he died, she pulled the walls walls around her like an Afghan. I just love that line so much. You do see that a lot with people who are, you know, long-term couples, that when one passes away, the other one, even if they are still alive, a part of them is gone.
1: Uh, and it was really because my grandmother was sort of such an avid churchgoer, it mm-hmm. was so significant when she stopped going and, and and so we I felt like we were kind of in a way going in her place mm-hmm. and and then we we bring her the bulletin and let her know what happened in church every week. It was mm-hmm. sort of a way of you know, giving her that, that experience that, that she was having. Kind of
0: yeah, yeah. D-
1: my grandparents definitely they, they show up in other in other poems. And I had a whole <laughs> I have a whole other poem about my grandmother called "Gears the Dog," and mm-hmm. and a lot of it is about kind of about how I'm really saying, like pretty much an atheist at this point, and how disappointed she would be in me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but how you know. Like, my husband was, was very Catholic, yeah. and, you know, she would have really approved of that. And, and I, it always is kind of interesting to me that I have this poem that's dedicated to her, and at the same time, I feel like she really wouldn't like it. <laughs> oh,
0: <laughs> Well, but, you never know, you never know. Yeah? Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, she sounds like such a, a wonderful... Lady and just, <laughs> I, I love the two roles that your grandmother and your grandfather played The she being more the disciplinarian, him being like I oh, just do whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was definitely the
1: dynamic. i was very uh, very spoiled by my grandfather.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you explaining about the these uh, instances of Arabic coming into the poem. And I was wondering if uh, Arabic is a language that you write in as well.
1: No, actually, I only know I only know a handful of words, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them are the words that my grandmother used to say to my grandfather, mm-hmm. so I didn't know what she was saying. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but you no, know, I am pretty much a hundred Well, I am a hundred percent Arabic. My parents are Syrian and Lebanese. Mm. Not, but from like several generations back, but everyone had intermarried. Mm. I was the first person who married someone who wasn't Arabic in my family.
0: Mm.
1: so uh, sort of like you know all the dishes and you know, and and you know a few a few words here and there, but don't really know um, a lot, unfortunately, I think my, my dad used to be fluent in Arabic when he was a child,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: he doesn't remember that much anymore either. but yeah. in, but it's funny, my my best friend growing up, who is not Arabic, married a man from Lebanon, and so she knows a lot, so she can speak Arabic, and she can... I, feel, I found out, too, that I'm also pronouncing some of the words incorrectly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, so that's, that's ironic. It's
1: like, been, like, a good update on, like, what some of the dishes really are, and how you actually say some of the words, although it is interesting, because, like, I'm from I'm, I'm Lebanese, but from... So far back that I think it was actually part of Syria then, mm-hmm. there's definitely right. different pronunciations of certain words, right. whether you're speaking Arabic in Lebanon or speaking in Syria, so I've also kind
0: of learned a little bit of that, from that Right, right. Living in the U.S., one of the things I really love about it is that we don't have to go anywhere to find the world within these borders. So, yeah. Have you ever visited?
1: I haven't, no. I actually I have a whole poem in the book about how guilty I feel about not going to my friend's wedding when she was planning to get married in Lebanon. Okay. At the time there was there was that was probably about fifteen years ago. I mean there's a lot of turmoil on the country now, but there was then too. And um and so I had decided not to go but felt really terrible. About it, she actually ended up being evacuated from the country right before the wedding because of the conflict. And so she and her husband actually got married in Providence. Mm-hmm. So I uh, so I was um, able to, to be in the wedding and be there in a uh, strange twist. So yeah, but I've never been, but it seems like a really beautiful country.
0: I was actually tempted to ask to uh, discuss that poem with you. I love what you sent me, and, and this, is, this is a wonderful poem, too. And, and I, I love the, again, about your grandmother and your poem giving us a picture of poignant moments in her life and also in your life. And so from what I read of later in the poem, you are actually living at where she used to live. Is that correct?
1: I had some of her old furniture.
0: Uh-huh.
1: uh-huh okay when i said my birthday cake been, uh, because i was old people it mm-hmm. was a table that uh, actually had been in her apartment and now it was in our house mm-hmm. um from when we
0: um moved everything out of her apartment. Right. okay i wasn't sure if you had inherited some of her furniture or that you were actually living in yeah. where she was anyway the fact that you invoked so much of your grandmother, um, you know, in, in sort of this vignette form and this interweaving between the now and the then, and also different parts of the past. And also talking about her habits, some of which is imagined is kind of why I, I pick my poem. I wrote this poem, especially for to send you, because I realized, even though I've had discussions about my grandmother before, and I've had poems that are sort of recall her a bit, like she appears in some of the poems, but I had never written a poem strictly about her. Oh, that's, that's really great. Yeah, thanks. Um, so it's, it's called To the She I Don't Fully Know, so I'm going to read it and then we can talk about it. I'm trying to reconstitute your scent, but only clips of your habits come to mind. Scenes that may cause recoil on first retelling that were so familiar, they'd become essential. Accompanied by operatic voices whose words were more meaningful when little understood. I miss you. The unconditional love that contrasted with requirements too steep to be met by a wee babe handled like a rag doll in another's hands who still thought she was playing house. Even as her brutish bully achieved, its intended effects forcing you to leave the comfort of a warm room to console, you maintain your even keel. I wish you were still here to see me stout, to answer my barrage of questions so many wise now meet with silent ends. But I know yours was mostly a rough road, though you hung on as long as you were able. You were my bedrock. A foundation I didn't realize was such a refuge. Our relationship was simple and pure, and I was privileged to know the best version of you, an alchemist who transfigured pain into love. That's a really
1: lovely poem. I really love the image at the end, an alchemist who transfigured pain into
0: love. Thank you. I
1: was wondering how you chose
0: that metaphor. That was what struck me most when I was reading it. I. Genuinely, don't recall exactly why I came up with that. My guess is that I think she had worked in a chemist or a drugstore or something when she was younger. When she was um, maybe in her late teenage years, because since she passed away more recently, she's passed away for my God, I think a couple of decades now. Wow. Um, Things you don't think about until you think about them. So recently I've been asking my mom more about her to get a sense of who she is because I only known her for like the first kind of decade of my life before we immigrated. So a lot of my memories of her is from that time and it's not a complete memory. And there are always things that I I remember you know, like I said, the, the things that might not, might not be the most, looking back now as an adult, I'm like, oh, she did that, um, I don't know, that's kind of weird, but, you know, but when you grew up with that, it's kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, of course, that, that's something that grandma da- did, you know, it's, it's very natural, and so, yeah,
1: well, I it's always interesting when, I mean, because a really great metaphor on its own, but sort of knowing that it actually is also rooted in like the personal history of your grandmother, you know, It sort of makes it even more meaningful than you know than you know as just reading. it so that's why it's, it's just so interesting to get those little kind of author tidbits of, of history that in like what what's woven to the the choices of the poem. Right.
0: Right. Exactly. Actually. Since you said that, that did remind me. I did want to ask you about the Afghan metaphor because it was, like, just such a, you know, you kind of had to stop in the middle of reading that and just to absorb it because it's such a good, like, how did she come up with that kind of a moment, you know? Yeah, yeah well, my, my
1: grandmother was always making afghans, and often when we'd go visit her, she'd be pursuing afghans. And I remember one time... Actually, finding an Afghan in my closet, and I asked my mother what it was, and she said that my grandmother had made it for me, and asked my mom to keep it in case she wasn't alive by the time I got married, oh. um, and, and, which she which she wasn't, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we still have it, and so it's really you know something particularly special to me because yeah. of that, and then also when when she got older, her doctor had told her because of her arthritis that she should stop from staying sh- and so she, she stopped making big, big afghans but she made all of these dishcloths which are the dishcloths in the home that are that we found in the drawers like, like cashflow ransomware and they really were just like all lined up like a whole drawer full of these small dishcloths and so she just made them and then she didn't really have any anything she would, she would give them to us all the time but she didn't really have she had she made more than she could do anything with and so she yeah. kept them in the drawer. and then for years afterwards we all, we all sort of sort of like took our share of them you know right. and um you know used them for for such a long time after she died right
0: right yeah that's amazing when i read that line when you were reading it just now um i was thinking about when somebody else passed away my mom's second husband's first wife to make things complicated (laughs) and when we were clearing out her things she just had like a whole bunch of like those placemats and it is reminding me of that
1: yeah it's so interesting the sort of object that you associate with a particular person Mm. and and how they make their way into things yeah your poem I really um I really liked the direct address to your grandmother that made it just feel very familiar Mm. and I was wondering if if the poem started out that way or if that's something that in you worked your way into
0: this one it it started out that way my other ones were more third person uh, when I talked about her because I was thinking I want to write a poem about my grandma were you know in reaction for our for our interview and i'm just like how do i it's the, the entry point is always finding the entry point is always the most difficult for me i, I think uh, i don't know if you have the same experience yeah i find i'm
1: i actually find it much tougher to do first draft and mm-hmm. i feel much more comfortable in revision than i do in like generating a first draft
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. yeah mine was just like I couldn't find the entry point and this was the entry point that came because I was trying to recall because I was both emotionally and physically very close to her and she was for the part of her life that I knew her she was always sick and bedriddenly sick so I I would spend a lot of time on her bed with her so I was trying to recall what that smell was like, it's just out of my memory's reach. And so that's where I decided to just start that poem. And I don't think I made a conscious choice in terms of whether I was gonna do first person, second person or not. And it just sort of came out that way. And I just wrote the rest as it started. Interesting. Anyway, I
1: think writing about grandparents in general is I think it's really hard to do mm. well because, you know, I think in some ways it's such a cliche topic. Mm. I remember, like, that was, like, one of the subjects not, not to write about. <laughs> and so it's always trying to find a way, like, if you, you know, if you feel like it's, like, when I feel like it's something I want to write about. And it's certainly, to me like, this poem didn't start, like, out as a poem about my grandmother, but mm. how – you, know, you find kind of ways into them ways into the topic that, that you don't expect in a way to try and make it kind of new and interesting. So it isn't you know, the grandmother poem that you're not supposed to write.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the thing is that I'm fortunate to not have had a formal poetry education, so I't I didn't, I didn't hear those things and, and so I just write yeah. whatever. And I think for people who are fortunate not to be limited by those admonitions, it depends on why people write, right? A lot of people, I write for emotional kind of therapeutic reasons as well. And for a lot of people, poetry or writing in general serves as a therapeutic tool for them. So not having those admonitions sort of sitting just um, like right next to their ears is helpful in terms of getting rid of another barrier to express themselves and their feelings and being able to get out certain feelings that are, you know, kind of detrimental if they continue to sit within their minds. Yeah,
1: and it can definitely be an interesting challenge to try and subvert uh, some of those ideas that, you know, things that you're not, that you're not supposed to write about, if that's something that you, have, something you've been, told over the years and and to try and figure out a way to do it and make it something that that you know new or, or that you know ha- hasn't
0: been done in quite this way right right I, I think if if we are right again it's like why do you why do you write right if you write to publish then likely you know just in terms of probability <laughs> submitting a grandparents poem probably won't get you much as much attention as something else because it's it's so many people have submitted their own version of it not having the breadth of knowledge of knowing that the editor has seen tons of grandparents poems you know um at the same time I feel like because you talked about how this poem just came to be um and also that you have another at least one other poem about her that it seems like you wanted to write about her and it came out whether or not you know you've been told this is not the best for your writing career yeah Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely true
1: yeah and i think that she was such a quiet person Mm -hmm. and that i i was surprised by how many are you know not tens of them but like a couple of the poems in the book Ended up being about her, and I think it's because, in a way, I feel like maybe there's a lot that I didn't really know about her mm. because she was a much quieter person than mm. a lot of the people in my family, and so, in a way, of trying to capture her in a way on the on the page. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and she seemed to, you know, just from what you wrote, she seems to have played such a large role. If nothing else, than playing matriarch to these Sunday, regular Sunday family gathering, It's in some ways reconstituting your own childhood.
1: Definitely. It really was the poem that I enjoyed working on so much. I think it really just brought together a lot of things that brought me joy in a way that you know, not every poem topic does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah
0: it's very lovely. I don't, I, yeah, I feel like overusing lovely here, but it, it just is. The sense of warmness that you feel reading this poem. You feel like it's very atmospheric. It's got a lot of personality to it. It's wonderful that it is in that, in that first collection of yours. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate
1: that. I was wondering about your poem. I thought it was really interesting that you, um, didn't
0: use any punctuation and I was wondering if that's something that you do a lot in your poems. If that's sort of part of your, your style or if that felt particularly suited to this poem yeah I started letting go of punctuation like I don't remember when I think like within the last year I think I might have come across some poets maybe even one of the ones that I interview who do not really use punctuation and I started using that style and I thought it was kind of freeing in some ways because then you don't necessarily have to. I think one of the explanations I got from someone else who didn't use punctuation is that it kind of allows other people, the readers, to stop where they feel like they could stop so it becomes more even more of an interactive experience. The poem so i started doing that and just using line breaks to punctuate i do sometimes use question marks somewhat similar to to how you use um well, i see more punctuation now i look at it closer and i feel like again it's kind of freeing because then i don't think i don't have to think about well do i want this to be a sentence you know i could just let the poem run run on uh in some ways where one sentence or what people might see as a sentence kind of melts into the other and let the idea kind of flow yeah i thought that it worked well sometimes
1: if you read poems without punctuation it's like i find myself sometimes stopping more often to figure out how things are put together mm-hmm. um but i found that your home was it was very clear you know even without the punctuation you know when I read it I didn't find myself you know pausing or lingering places trying to, to puzzle it out mm. I
0: felt like
1: it was you know so um what you intended was coming was coming across even without
0: the, the punctuation thank you I appreciate that I'm I'm like because I don't I don't know I try to write as the way I would read it As I said before, letting the line breaks do the punctuating. So I'm glad, I'm glad you felt like it was clear.
1: I say that as a huge fan of punctuation because I, in my chat book, I actually, I have a series of poems all about punctuation. Oh, cool. And that's kind of how my chat book is organized. Like, there's one about the exclamation mark, the question question mark, the parentheses, which are my favorite. Um. (laughs) I actually have two friends these poems because I love them so much. And <laughs> although I feel like I probably it's like my M dash in that like I overuse them. But I, I don't think I've ever written a poem without punctuation, but I do really, you know, enjoy that style with other writers.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't start doing it until recently and I'm just sort of took to it and I was like, oh, okay something else I don't have to worry about (laughs) it's funny that you mentioned having poems about punctuation because recently I did enter a poem by I think it was my entry line even though I think I might have moved it somewhere else into the in the poem about a semicolon because semicolons are always like a mystery to me always a mystery to me Never. Actually, the
1: only punctuation mark that I did not write a poem about. I tried and failed to write <laughs> a semicolon poem. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess it's not the punctuation mark, but it's like of the major punctuation marks. That's the one I don't have a poem about. I had many drafts, and I felt like I never, I never properly captured the semicolon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's like, what does it do exactly? I don't get it. I never regret
1: well, it. it. It's interesting. I teach sometimes, like, like, um, like people who aren't writers at my work to, you know, some like basic writing tips. And one of the things I always advise is, is like, just, just don't use them. <laughs> don't use them. <laughs> and, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's sort of like my heart and best rule for everything. But I find so often they're just. It's better just to break up the sentences. I can more see why they would have a place in poems than kind of like in, in regular writing. But I think they're, they're so often misused that it's better sometimes for people to just to, to avoid them.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's I, the thing. I just don't, uh, again, for me, I'm just like, I don't get it. I have re- read rules about them when I was studying lit and I... Just don't get it.
1: <laughs> I know, well, my my junior year, school teacher just used to write commas place all over the place on my, my on my papers, and it took me a while before you know until I like took some initiative and looked it up and realized that you know I was supposed to be using a semicolon in those places. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's the thing, and I think maybe that's what most people get wrong uh, too. It's like, do I use a comma? Do I use a semicolon? <laughs> I don't know. So hard. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was that was actually the line I, I basically just wrote about how how sort of like mysterious the semicolon is. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs>
1: yeah I was wondering about um the structure of the poem I know that obviously for people who are li- listening to the podcast they can't see the poem but most of the poem is four to six line stanzas but then you have I miss you and you were my bedrock as sort of standing on their own and I was wondering if you could talk about why you chose to have, have those be on their own and if that's something that you know had been there from the start of the poem or if those were, is that you had decided to break off from the rest of the
0: stanzas later on? I think in the first draft I had three lines that were on their own, and in the second I only had two. In some ways, this is almost an, almost a palindrome uh, in terms of shape. Almost. It, definitely very imperfect. Then I was thinking at the end, like, do I want to? Because I have six, one. Five, four, five, one, four instead of six, and I was just thinking, do I want to write another couple of lines to complete the palindrome? And but, but I was like, nah, I don't feel like it because I, to me, form is not the most important thing again, I, because I never study writing poetry specifically my contact with poetry was more in the larger context of, of literature studies. Again, I feel like I'm not as restricted by the form and also again, my purpose for writing is much more therapeutic in nature. But I do play with form sometimes, especially now that I'm writing a lot. I I feel more comfortable and maybe more confident in my ability to write things hold thoughts in my head enough knowing that I won't lose the thought if I took a little tangent into form making or finding synonyms or something. I think I'm more a little bit more comfortable playing with form. But still, form is much more secondary. But I did decide to, even in the first draft, to have these two lines out because I felt like using, again, line breaks as, uh, as punctuation or as emphasis so these lines were on their own because these were two lines that were like the major points of the poem, I guess? Yeah, yeah, it definitely comes
1: across that way. And I thought that they, you know, it had a nice
0: emphasis having those single line stances. I didn't set out when I was writing this poem. It wasn't like I outlined it as, oh, I'm going to do a palindrome. I'm going to have two pull-out lines. It wasn't deliberate. It just, this is what came out. And I massaged some, some of it. But, yeah, for the most part, I didn't really. The last stanza was just like, I'm going to just leave it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it, I think it works really well,
1: the structure.
0: Thank you. Thank you. What about for you? Like, when you were reading it, I felt like there were three major sections to your poem, but your poem is basically a column shape with enjambments and, uh, you know, sentences going going across different lines. So was that on a, a, a purpose or something that just came out that way? I think
1: I really, I often... As one kind of without stanzas, when I feel like I want them to feel more casual and conversational, Mm -hmm. and which is how I really wanted this poem to come across. And so I find that some of my other poems, the ones that maybe feel a little bit more formal, Mm -hmm. are often in tercets. I find that tercets are my often sort of go-to go-to stanza when I have stanzas. But I really wanted this one to, to feel kind of like a, a little bit like a stream of consciousness and, and almost for the reader to experience it the way that I wrote it in a way when I didn't kind of know what was coming. Yeah. Um, so i kind of going on all these sort of you know into the present and the, the past and into all these sort of different images. And so I felt like having it all be one long stanza helped
0: that be more effective and fit both the subject matter and the tone of the poem. Mm. Mm. Okay. okay. Yeah, I have the tendency of writing in one block as well. And then after I've written that one block, I would go back and um, then be like, oh, I should break up uh, break it up into another stanza here I should break it up into another stanza here so the form comes again secondary to my being able to get out what I wanted to write out
1: yeah and I really I do really love enjambment and in, and in this poem in particular there's only I don't think there's one besides the last line of the poem there's no sentence that's on its own line and even that one it starts with eight and then the doll was at once like this for you and that's the only line that's like a full sentence on one
0: line
1: mm. and the whole, because i really wanted the emphasis and stop on that, on that
0: one question yeah. yeah that is really interesting in that you ended the poem with a question and, and an attempt at engagement and again, is that is that something that you did on purpose?
1: Yeah, I really wanted it to be because it wasn't it wasn't a poem that was written in direct address, mm-hmm. um, and so having that turn at the end, as if I am speaking to her, it wasn't there from the, at the start of the poem, but it kind of I put it in in the revision process, it really really felt like that was the right ending for the poem was to direct to change it to direct address at the end away from the, the third person that had been for the, the rest of
0: the poem. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's very engaging. It grabs you. And I now looking at it again, I wonder if that might be the reason why my poem is addressed to the second person. Oh
1: interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it I mean it's, it's such a it's such a pleasure and you know, it's just such a great experience to be able to read your poem that you wrote in response to my poem. I really, um, that's, that's such a great thing. I really appreciate
0: that. That's one of the things I find incredibly stimulating reading other people's poem, poems and listening to other people's poems as well. Every time I go to a reading where I'm stimulated, I feel like, oh, I have to write something, I have to write something. <laughs> And, and so I really so
1: I, I find that the best way to get out of a is to just sort of sit down and read a lot read a lot of poems Cause I, I think that's really how I started writing poems in the first place was I just I was I so admired what other people were doing and wanted to be part of that process mm-hmm. and so you know I really was like wanting to be part of like a bigger conversation and so mm-hmm. um just being someone who just really loves poetry so much that it made me want it. it, made me want to do it my do it myself. Right,
0: right, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I'm I, sure about everybody.
0: That's <laughs> how they get it. Yeah, I, I wonder because from from the people I interview, it seems like different processes. Uh, obviously, they yeah. might have. You know read a lot of poems growing up or you know in their studies whatnot at the same time i i don't know that it has the direct effect that that it has on other people that stimulant to reaction kind of effect that it seems to have on both of us yeah it's it's interesting and i mean i I feel like all of these questions that we could be doing some kind of anthropological study (laughs) And the grandmother poems or grandparents' poems as well, I feel like there should be some kind of at least like a 10-volume anthology on grandparents' poems. <laughs> that would be a cool idea. Yeah, I think it will be awesome. I think, you know, because we we all write these poems on our own. If uh, we're not doing something like, the you know, this sort of interview program, we never know that this is a, a staple in many poets' writing life as well. Maybe you can convince your um, publisher do a ten-volume <laughs> anthology of grandparents' poems. <laughs> I'll just start
1: looking beyond
0: the lookout for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it would be awesome, um, and to include. Include them from other parts of the world and in different languages with translations and stuff. I think it will be a well.
1: There's so many. There's so many great things for grandparents and in, in, uh just in other languages. I always wonder sometimes when with my poems. I'm like for you know when I just publish them without. I mean there there's I don't have a foot know in the book or anything about what Saddam is or the dummies. But I always feel like. In context, you can you know you can probably tell what some of these words are, but I'm always curious if I'm right about that. If you if people you know if there is if there is a context for
0: the reader, I had a sense for for what it was, but I did look it up. I just typed it into Google. Be like Google, do your thing. <laughs> Google, Google is awesome for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was but, also
1: good. Some, some poems I was I, I knew how to say them in Arabic, but I had no I didn't know how they should be spelled in English Arabic. You know, right. to, And so, uh, so that was that was kind of a, an interesting project <laughs> trying to figure out some of that. Right. And Sometimes it was not it was, it was nothing like I expected those spelling.
0: Right, right, uh, and it depends on who's spelling it to it might be different versions yeah so i was able to find sita but not the word for, for grandfather i kind of got it by context i was like yeah i think that's oh. grandfather but uh yeah i couldn't tell
1: so well it's interesting because we we always called my my uh we always spelled it g-i-d-o mm-hmm. and my dad was actually my like Halfway through my daughter's life, he was like, "Maybe I want to be J I D V and nobody could handle it. We were like, we were "Like we we can't spell it that way. It's just it's not natural." And I, I have no idea what maybe that is. Really, how I spelled, and so, um, that's why you couldn't find it.
0: that's good to know. That I I I love how I, these little revelations come. <laughs> you know, like ah okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of
1: people use 50 instead of 50 so I think like it ha- you know it has a bunch of like different different little variations.
0: Yeah to close our conversation, I would love for you to let us know if there are any virtual events that you would recommend and how people might follow you online. I
1: have a website uh, that's JulieDanho.com. so it's Julie. D-A-N-H-O.com. Mm-hmm. And I'm also on Facebook. I'm Julie Danhoe O'Connell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am on Twitter. I think I'm at, at Danhoe Julie. And as far as virtual events, I post my virtual events on my, my website. But also, I did want to give a plug for a Slapper and Call. They, they published my chapbook, and I'm on their board. I'm actually their proofreader of all oh, cool. of their books. Very nice. um, and they have an amazing reading series, and right now, um, everything is virtual, and Mm so they actually, they have a beautiful restored train station in Sleepy Hollow, New York, but that's closed right now, Mm -hmm. and so I, but I imagine probably even after, um, you know, when people can start gathering in person again, that they will probably still have some virtual events or offer them virtually, but they're An amazing organization, and they've had like a great lineup of of readers this year. So I would definitely check them out there. It's Lovering Hall Press at the Hudson Valley Reader Center.
0: Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you very much for your time. I I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me uh, about your poem and your grandparents.
1: (laughs) It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah.
0: As always, you can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to poetsandmuses.com and our SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Imogen A. Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.